Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, that in Jesus Christ, you are not just our Lord and our God, but you are our friend. That's incredibly profound to think about and to consider. We're grateful. Today, Lord, we pray that we would trust you, Jesus, that we would trust that you will guide us in this life, that even though life is bittersweet and filled with pain and sorrow and joy and happiness, that we can embrace that life because you are with us in it. And that we know, Lord, that you will guide us home. And to that end, Lord, today I pray that you would pour upon me the gift of preaching. That my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word. Uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it with great confidence. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I wanted to begin on this last Sunday to share a couple of sad songs I've come across in the past week or two. Uh, The first one is a new single by Billy Joel, believe it or not. It's called Turn the Lights Back On. And I've listened to it a number of times. And definitely there's a sense of longing and bittersweet in that. And the second is an instrumental by Tara Howley on the Illan Pipes, which are the bagpipes of Ireland. And I'm just telling you, you can listen to any song with those pipes and you're going to feel longing. Um, it's just unbelievable the way that the textures of that instrument. But this particular song is called the Ald Triangle. And the Alder Old Triangle refers to a large metal triangle beaten each morning to waken prisoners at Mount Joy Jail. In Dublin. And so the person that wrote the song had been a prisoner there. And so you just, there's no words, you just get this sense, but it's a gorgeous, gorgeous longing melody. Um, And so I'll include YouTube links for both of those in this week's email if you're interested um, to learn more about those songs. Today is our fifth and final sermon, as I said, in the Bittersweet series. During the series, we've delved into countercultural, to the countercultural truth. That the formula for a fulfilling life is not just about maximizing experiences of happiness and joy, but more crucially, it's how we deal with pain and sorrow. Susan Cain says, when we properly integrate pain and sorrow, it can actually make our lives more fulfilling. I want to thank those of you who have approached me during this series and been willing to vulnerably share your stories of how learning to embrace the bittersweet is helping you in the midst of your own pain and sadness. As we finish the series today, I'm encouraging us not just to accept, but to embrace bittersweetness in life. I really believe that that's God's calling for us. God knows this life is bittersweet because of sin and brokenness that's in the world. And so God is saying, what does the abundant look like? Well, it must include... Not only joy and happiness, but pain and sorrow and grief and suffering. Susan shares why she thinks we should do this. She says this book is about the riches of the bittersweet tradition and how tapping into them can transform the way we create, the way we parent, the way we lead, the way we love, and the way we die. That's a bold statement. Transforming how we create, parent, lead, love, and die. And yet I believe she's not overstating what embracing 
the bittersweet in life can produce. And one of the main reasons is because when we don't embrace it, the only other option is to reject it, right? To push it, to pretend like it's not there. And that's what leads to the trouble. What leads to the trouble is when we don't acknowledge it and we expect God to only give us the good things. And I'm just telling you, life is filled with disappointments, but you're never going to be more disappointed in God than if you expect God to only give you good things. It's just not God's plan. And Scripture affirms this. Scripture affirms that our lives with God are innately bittersweet. And today's passage, Jeremiah isn't pulling any punches on the bittersweet circumstance in which God's people find themselves. They are in exile because of their choices, yes, but God allowed that to happen. He allowed their choices to lead them into Babylon in exile. And in the midst of their exile, so far from home, God says the verse we know so well. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Did you know that Jeremiah 29, 11 is the second most searched Bible verse after John 3, 16? It has 82,000 monthly searches. I believe the reason it's so popular is because people take it out of its exilic context and use it as a blanket promise by God that only good things will happen and not bad. Or to put it another way, that God will protect us from having to experience the bittersweet in life. <laughs> Yet today's passage quickly disabuses anyone of this notion, right? This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then, but then, I mean, what the heck? What do you mean, but then? 70 years? 70 years? Then good things are going to happen? But then... I will come and do for you all the good things I promise, and I will bring you home again. Seventy years. If we were in this circumstance, we would be in captivity until 2094. Think about that. 2094. That's all you got to worry about, guys. Just from you just got to get to 2094, and everything's gonna be great. So while good things are coming. They will only come after many of us in this circumstance have died. Bittersweet indeed. Even though we have not been physically taken captive, there are things that connect us with this, the exile's situation. In her book, Susan Caton writes about the longing we have, and we've talked about this, the longing we have to go home to a place where there's no more bondage, no more pain, suffering, or grief. So even though our exile is spiritual in nature, there is still a lot we can learn from God's promises through Jeremiah. How does God encourage them to live their daily lives while they wait to go home? While they wait. In Jeremiah 29, 5-7, this is just before the passage we read today, God says this, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too 
will prosper. Now just think about the context that this verse that we say so quickly, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, that everyone knows and we hear and we say. Think about the context. It's in exile that God's saying it. So it certainly isn't a promise for all good things. But what does God say while they're waiting? God is calling his people to embrace the bittersweet life they are living. God is calling his people to embrace the bittersweet circumstances that they find themselves in. They should make a home away from home. Build houses, settle down, grow gardens, marry, seek the prosperity of the city in which they find themselves in. And God says, then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. And so there is a kingdom lesson for us today in this message. Even though we live, as I said, in spiritual exile, in a world filled with sorrow and pain and suffering and grief, even so, we know God did come. He fulfilled this promise. He did come and fulfill all the good things he had promised in Jesus Christ. For in Christ, our pain and our suffering is ultimately transformed into the beauty of salvation and healing and forgiveness. And that ultimately, because of that, we are going home. And I believe this is the heart of why Guiding Light, the song we've been singing, has been a poignant theme song during the past five weeks. As we close the series, I I wanted you to experience how Foy Vance turns the pain of exile into something beautiful. And so if we could, I thought we would listen to the full song so you can get the whole context of the chorus that we've been singing this week. Let's take a listen. Stretching out towards the night Cause the sun is low And I yet have still so far to go My lonely heart is beating so Tired of the wonder But there's a sign ahead Though I think it's the same one again And I'm thinking about my only So I find my way home 
sleep and soul by the branches broke black bones this weekend tree no longer holds over the night is yet lost my will Oh and I will keep on moving till Till I find my way home When I need to wonder what happened in his life that caused him to write that song, right? There is so much longing, there is so much imagery of night and cold and boundaries and longing and wanting more. Um, he, his father was a preacher. Uh, he's from Ireland and they traveled to the U.S. and for six years his dad traveled around the country preaching. Um, there's a lot of complexity to the story, but he writes a number of songs. He definitely has a faith that is very vibrant and real, and you can sense it in what he's saying today. And it proves, I think, Susan Cain's theory about sad songs that we feel a kind of communion with all other people in the world who know the sorrow that the music is expressing and that we were all in it together, that there is a sense of understanding that happens there. In addition to this, I find hope in Matthew when Christ says that I am always with you. Because it means that he is with us in the togetherness, even here, now. In the togetherness we experience and more, Scripture tells us the Spirit has been given to us as a deposit of what is to come. And so where the Spirit is... God gives us a taste of the kingdom, of the home, I think, that Foy is talking about. 
there. That God gives us a taste of that home that we long for in the here and now when the Spirit dwells within us. And so how do we experience this taste of home? Because that's, that's what gives us the hope that we need to keep going and to embrace the bittersweet life. How do we experience this taste of home? In short, we must, in the good times and the bad, engage our faith in God by inviting the Holy Spirit to dwell within us that as we experience God's presence, He will remind us that no matter what, He has us. That he will come and do for us all the good things he has promised. And that ultimately he will bring us home again. Coming to know this, to trust this, is what empowers us to embrace the bittersweet life that's in front of us. Rather than running from it. For as Bob Marley puts it, ultimately we don't have to worry about a thing. Every little thing, ultimately, is going to be all right. So I'm going to invite Liza up and let's respond to God this morning. I encourage you to, to experiment, to think about what it means to trust that God is present in the room today. And that as you sing, you're going to sing to God with faith. Saying, you believe this. I believe that we don't have to worry. I believe you're my guiding light. I believe, and so I want to build my house, my life, upon my faith in Christ. So, um, as we start today, uh, I've asked Eliza to sing the verse that Bob Marley wrote before this chorus to give you a little context for it. And then we'll start with the don't worry about a thing. Rise up this morning, smiled with the rising sun. Three little birds perched by my doorstep, singing sweet songs of melodies pure and true. This is my message to you. So don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right. Stand up, would you? Don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing gonna be alright because when I need to get home you're my guiding light you're my guiding light sing it out when I need to get home you're my guiding light you're my I will build 
Join us for our final song.